This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to Hal Brady Ministries. It is our prayer that this will be a meaningful service to you. So let's start, as always, with the Word of God, which comes from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Hear, please, the Word of God. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Join me for prayer. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. While driving to a meeting the other day, I passed a florist truck. When I passed the truck, I couldn't help but notice the advertisement there. It simply said, flowers whisper how you feel. Undoubtedly, that's true. Flowers do whisper how we feel. But perhaps compassion even more whispers how we feel. You know the story. A man was driving his car up a street in Atlanta. When he pulled up to a traffic light, a carjacker pulled his door open, pulled him out, beat him up, took his $20 in his car, and left him bleeding in the road. Now by chance, a minister was coming up that road, but when he saw what was ahead, he angled over to the other side. You see, he was late for a meeting. Then a little while, a Levite came by. This Levite was a social worker. This social worker saw what was ahead and angled by on the other side. You see, the social worker was on the way to make a speech on how to help the down and out. But then there was a street person or an illegal immigrant, I'm not sure which, came along, saw the condition the wounded man was in, stopped, kneeled down, helped him. This person went beyond the mile of duty to the mile of love. Some time ago, I was in a church service, and I saw some young people mind this story. The wounded man was stretched out on the floor. In a few minutes, a boy came out representing the priest. He came up to the man, the wounded man saw him, 
looked at him, turned his back, and walked away. And a few minutes, a girl came by. She was representing the Levite. She came by, looked a little longer, saw the condition he was in, and walked away. At this point, all of us in the worship service confessed our sins of omission and commission and received absolution. But then there was a Samaritan. The Samaritan came by, saw the condition the man was in, leaned over and helped him. The two got up and walked away. And at this point in the service, all of us went to the altar and rededicated ourselves to Jesus Christ and the way of compassion. Now the point of this parable is not who is my neighbor, which is anybody in need, but how can I embody being a neighbor living under the reign of God? First of all, a true neighbor knows no boundaries. A true neighbor knows no boundaries. When Alice Freeman Palmer was president of Wellesley College, she was reproved for not lecturing more. She said she'd found a more effective medium for doing the things that she wanted to accomplish. She said it's people that count. You want to put yourself in people, big people, little people, good people, not so good people, all kinds of people. Two fathers were standing out in the yard, and of all things, they were arguing about how dumb their sons were. One of them turned to the other and said, I bet you my son's dumb and yours. The other said, no, my son's dumb and yours. said, well, I'll prove it to you. So the man called his son over, reached in his pocket, pulled out a nickel. He said, son, take this nickel and go buy me a Cadillac. His son turned around and left, said, I told you. The other fellow said, no, that's nothing. He said, watch this. He said, son, come over here. He looked him dead in the eye. He said, son, run over to the country club and see if I'm there. His son turned around and left. Well, these two boys met up on the road about 30 minutes later as they were walking along. All of a sudden, one of them turned to the other and said, I bet you my dad's dumb and yours. He said, no, my dad's dumb and yours. I said, I'll prove it to you. He said, a little while ago, my dad called me over, reached in his pocket, pulled out this nickel, told me to take it and go buy him a Cadillac. He said, you know what? He didn't even tell me what color. The other fellow said, oh, that's nothing. He said, a little while ago, my dad called me over, looked me dead in the eye, told me to run over to the country club and see if he was there. He said, there was a phone right beside him. He could have called. It's people that count, big people, little people, good people, smart people, not so smart people, all kinds of people. A fellow walked into a country store, said to the man behind the counter, you got something for the hiccups? The guy slapped him across the face. He said, what was that for? He said, you don't have the hiccups anymore, do you? He said, no, but my wife does, and she's in the car. It's people that count, big people, little people, good people, not so good people, all kinds of people. I once heard a theologian say that if the great Methodist leader John Wesley had died before his 37th birthday, his name would not even have been a footnote in a history book. It was after his 37th birthday that his conversion went from a passion for truth to a compassion for people. And after that, he was effective. William Sloan Coffin, he's dead, but he wrote a book called Living the Truth in a World of Illusions. And he said that God has made of one blood all the people of the earth, black, white, yellow, red, smart and stupid, starved and stuffed, from nations large and small, whatever our creed, we all belong to one another. That's the way God made us. And so we in the church will keep on talking about interdependence rather than independence. We'll talk about inclusiveness rather than exclusiveness. We'll talk about community rather than privatism. You know, Jesus never identified the man by the side of the road. He was only a man. 
which meant he could be a man, a woman, a friend, a foe, or whatever. The Samaritan simply entered into the wounded man's needs. In other words, he suffered with him. He was going to share whatever came to him, and he did. The late Mother Teresa was a wonderful example to us because she knew no boundaries. As a part of her commitment to Jesus Christ, she went around to the big cities, the teeming cities, and picked up newborn infants that had been dropped in the garbage cans, and she took them out. She also picked up people who were dead on the streets or dying on the streets, and she took them, and many of them died anyway. Somebody said, why do you do all that? She said, every human being deserves to die in a place of love. Isn't she right? Every human being deserves to die in a place of love. Billy Graham said he would never forget Red Harper, who came to Christ at a meeting in California. Red Harper said that after he came to Christ, something happened to him that was totally amazing. He said he began to love everybody. It didn't matter their color, race, or creed. He just simply wanted to hug the world. And isn't that what the sacrament of Holy Communion is all about in the church? It's the sacrament of hospitality. It's people coming to become one. Nobody is excluded at the Lord's table. A true neighbor knows no boundaries. And then secondly, a true neighbor acts out of resolve, not emotion. If the Good Samaritan had acted out of emotion, he never would have acted. You see, there were so many things. This wounded man was his enemy. Everybody knew that the Samaritans and the Jews had no dealings. Everybody knew that. Maybe the Samaritan was like the other two, and he had to get on because he had pressing needs. And what if those robbers were still by the side of the road? He might be the next victim. He might be the next victim. That wouldn't be good at all. Hear me now. Human love is by and large emotional. Let me say that again. Human love is by and large emotional. For the most part, feelings dominate a human's love perspective. It may be fears. It may be hormones. It may be past hurts. But on the other hand, God's love is not based on feelings. God's love is based on resolve. Now, God certainly has feelings for us. But his love is not based on those feelings. His love is based on his resolve to love us. As one of the Wesley brothers put it, Charles, he said in referring to God, he hath loved us, he hath loved us, because he would love. You know, frequently, when I counsel young people who are about to get married, I always tell them, if you plan when you walk down the aisle to get married and you think to yourself, if this doesn't work, I can get out of it. You will, because society encourages that. On the other hand, if you walk down that aisle thinking, we're going to be together till one of us kicks out of here, chances are you will, because you're making a commitment to love each other. You're making a resolve to love each other. A minister said that whenever he saw couples that had been married 50 or 60 years, he always asked them how they'd made it, how they'd stayed together. He said, I know you've had problems. And he said, they all answered the same. Yes, we've had problems. We had difficult times. But they always went back to the original question, how have we stayed together? And they would say, because we gave our word. Because we gave our word. Till death do us part. 
their commitment had integrity in it. Because we gave our word, their marriage lasted not because of their feelings, but because of their commitment, because of their resolve. A true neighbor always acts out of resolve, not feelings. And then thirdly, a true neighbor, and this is equally important, moves beyond generalities. Now I want us to think about this priest. This priest was a religious figure and a good man. He probably had a natural impulse to help the wounded man. But he waited until his common sense came along and wiped out the impulse. You know, that happens sometimes with us. You know, it could have been that the priest didn't help because of a religious reason. Numbers 19.11 says, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean for a week. So if he had leaned down and touched that dead body, he would have been unclean. He could not have performed his religious duties for a week. Then there was the Levite. He probably sang in the community temple choir, and every week they would sing the hymns. Perhaps he just could not find the time to help. But I want you to notice this. The priest and the Levite both had plenty of religion, but they let their spiritual generalities keep them from doing things that were specifically religious. In other words, they knew the creeds, but didn't know the deeds. There was a minister in Houston, Texas, that invited a great doctor from the Houston hospital to come and speak to the parents and teachers of preschool children. He had done a lot of research on the effect of love on the brain. So what he did was he showed two pictures. Here was the picture of a brain of a healthy little child, and here was the picture of a brain of an unhealthy little child. And so when you looked at the healthy child on the left, this child was one whose parents loved the child, expressed love, rocked the child, petted the child, talked to the child, reinsured the child. This was the healthy brain. On the other hand, was the unhealthy child's brain. This one had been abused, neglected. Nobody paid any attention to this child. This child was left completely alone every, every day. But I want you to notice this. Don't miss this. The child who was loved and cared for and treasured, the size of that child's brain was three times the size of the unhealthy child. Tell me specifics don't make a difference. Not long ago, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, attending a meeting of the General Board and Finance Administration of the United Methodist Church. And a friend of mine was telling me something that happened to his daughter. His daughter was going into the hospital for some surgery that was supposed to last three days and she would be out. But something went wrong. And so she was there not three days, but over a month. She was in and out of the intensive care unit and almost died. This minister said he had been in that church as the pastor for nine years. Then he started sharing with me what the congregation had done for him. He said, of course, there were the prayer vigils and the many prayers. Then he said there were those get well cards, 150 a day, 150 a day. And then the congregation had prepared meals, 21 straight nights, meals while he was in the hospital. The congregation relieved him of his duties until his daughter got better. He was blown away by the specifics. A true neighbor moves beyond generalities. And then a true neighbor serves and serves and serves and keeps on serving. 
And Landis once said, service is the rent we pay for our place on earth. God expects all of us who are his people to keep on paying the rents, the rent of service, day by day by day by day. This good Samaritan, he actually helped this wounded man. He not only leaned over and helped him with his own hands, he took him to the inn on his donkey. He had to go away on business, but he paid the innkeeper to take care of this man while he was gone. He was going to take care of him until he came back, until he was on his feet completely well. Albert Schweitzer was once making a speech to some graduates in an English school. And he said, I don't know your destinies. Some of you are going to be great people. He said, but I do know that the only ones of you who are going to be happy are going to be those who know and serve Jesus Christ. The only ones of you who are going to be totally happy are those who know and serve Jesus Christ. And of course, that means serving our neighbors, serving one another. In 1972, there was a horrible tragedy. An earthquake hit Managua, Nicaragua. It was terrible. There were two responses. These were immediate responses. One was by a very wealthy man by the name of Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes made his way through the debris to his private plane. He boarded the plane and flew out of Nicaragua to some special European suite in another country. There's a fellow by the name of Roberto Clemente who played right field for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was a superstar. Everybody loved him. He got some cargo planes. He got these cargo planes and they flew supplies and medicines into these people. Roberto Clemente lost his own life in the process. Now, as far as compassion is concerned, it looks like to me we need to ask ourselves three questions. Are we flying out? Are we flying in? Or are we flying by? Let us pray. Lord, we're so grateful for this day, a time when we can share, a time when we can gather and think about what being a neighbor is all about. We thank you for the neighbors around us who express and show us God's love. And we are grateful, O oh God, that we can be neighbors. If we haven't been or aren't what we should be, enable us, O oh God, by your power to become that neighbor so much like Christ. Give us, O oh God, your power and your strength, and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. It's in your name. Amen. Should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me.
Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. step I can see. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, for his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Spell.